0: The first tonight, Cricket's World Cup is heading down under after Australia's amazing triumph at Lord's. news is, of course, Australia's victory at Cricket's World Cup. Cricketers will
1: return home heroes after they crushed Pakistan in a final no one expected them to make.
0: What a wonderful performance to win by eight crickets in the World Cup.
1: Um, I wasn't quite
0: sure whether we could pick ourselves up after those last two games, but all the guys dug deep. We, we executed
2: the plan magnificent and uh, all the guys really wanted it today. The 1999 World Cup was a triumph against all odds. The sight of Steve Waugh lifting the trophy aloft at Lord's set in motion a period of unmatched supremacy for Australian cricket, which resulted in three consecutive titles and inspired a generation of fans. But the road to glory, it wasn't a smooth one. In order to reach the summit, the Australians overcame a fractured dressing room, a controversial curfew, a struggling champion and poor early results to pull off an unlikely victory. I'm your host Tom Morris, and this is the miracle of '99, brought to you by Fox Cricket.
3: The axing of Shane Warne was was stunning.
4: I remember at the time, knowing Warney was really pissed off, and and still struggling to reconcile it. And and I think Warney came out eventually, you know, and said he was considering, you know, his future at that time.
2: The sight of Shane Warne ripping vicious leg breaks past hapless South African batsmen to haul Australia back to an epic semi-final is one of the enduring images of this 1999 World Cup. Warne had dominated world cricket since bursting onto the scene in the early 90s, but had taken its toll and by 1998 his shoulder was in bad shape. Surgery revealed a torn rotator cuff and cartilage damage. So serious was that injury, there were fears he might never return to the same heights again. And Warne would miss the Tour of Pakistan, and then the first four tests of the Ashes series in Australia returning to the international fold in the fifth test at the SCG. Shane Warne. And the ball
0: by Mark Tower. Got a tremendous ovation.
5: Oh! Big shout. has got him!
4: Well, there you go. First over. He gets a wicket. Got him
5: back. Maybe a top spinner. Warne has struck.
2: But the euphoria around the great man's return, it was short-lived. Warren would claim just two wickets for the match, with signs the road back to the top might be a little bit more difficult than first thought, and his fellow league spinner and rival, Stuart McGill, claimed eleven wickets for that SCG test.
1: Go on, go on. Bould him round his legs hold him round his legs Well that's ten for the match For Stuart McGill
0: My word is McGill having a good series Well that was the uh, googly Oh he's got him, yes he's got him Well what a way to end the series Seven wickets to McGill
3: And what a test match he's had
2: warned struggles would continue that winter in the Caribbean. In the first three tests over there, he claimed at just two wickets at 134 runs apiece, as West Indian superstar, Brian Lara, took the Aussies apart.
5: And there he goes again.
2: That's another one. And he's able to put it through for four.
5: Great shot by Brian Lara, he sat, he waited. Will play that is brilliant. That's probably the most stunning
1: piece of
2: batting that we've seen today. Heading into the decisive fourth test with the Sir Frank Worrell Trophy on the line, the Aussies and new captain Steve Waugh, they had a decision to make. According to veteran cricket writer Robert Crash Craddock, it was a tortured one.
3: Alan Border, who was on tour as a tour leader, I think, but a selector at the time. Uh, was actually invited into the meeting to discuss it. And uh, you could tell the anguish they went through when he went for a walk along the beach and, a, and a 200 metres away from anyone, he ran into Mike Coward, a senior journalist. And Mike said, are you OK? He said, yeah, I've just been in a meeting where they've dropped warning. And he said, oh, I don't know. I said, I see all the reasons for it, but he said, I'm struggling with it.
2: And according to Border, it was Steve War who was the driving force behind the bombshell decision.
0: I thought we should stick with Warney. Um, because he's such a great bowler, I just thought you know he's only ever a, maybe a, a wicket in his first over away from re, you know, really dominating. That's how it felt to me. But um, you know Stephen was very adamant that uh, he wanted to make the change, um, and McGill was bowling well, so yeah. uh, it was done. But it, it, you know if you if you sort of transform that down to today's effort, like the, the selector would probably hold sway as to what the selector wanted. Uh, whereas back in that time, the captain held sway on tour.
2: Australia took the field without vice-captain Shane Warne, dropped for the first time in his career after being savaged in the first three tests. And Shane Warne was the vice-captain. It's not like he was just a player.
0: That's right. So yeah. there was, there was,
2: <laughs> do you remember Shane Warne arguing the toss? Yeah, well, he, he just felt that, uh,
0: you know, he was, wasn't far away from, you know, getting back to his best form, you know, finding some rhythm. Yeah, he'd had a fair layoff. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know... But he was such a great player that you just, you know, he was one of those automatic selections, you know, if you're fit, mate, you're in. But he, he was struggling and we did have Stuart McGill. It wasn't if you just yeah. had, you know, just anybody. It was Stuart McGill who, and his test record is phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, while we didn't play them both more often, I, I can't quite get my head around. <laughs> um, Warney was, yeah, very, very
2: disappointed with uh, that, that selection process. History would show Australia going on to win the fourth test in the series, but Warn's controversial axing, it created a rift between he and Waugh that and still stands today, and it left the world's greatest bowler questioning himself.
3: An interesting thing happened uh, two days after they dropped Warnie. Um, I didn't have many conversations with him uh, f- hotel room to hotel room during his career, even though I spent a lot of time on the road, but he actually rang up my room, and said, look, I'm struggling with this, and I'm just trying to get a, an outside uh, view of it. Am I a better bowler than McGill? And uh, and I said, look, you are. And I said, I, I don't envy them making the decision though, because your form hasn't been great. And he was really struggling with it. There was no question. Uh, it was, you know, it really hit him, hit him like a ton of bricks. And um, for for the for the wonderfully confident bold that he was, off the field, Warnie could be quite insecure, and, and the bottom fell out of his world when he was dropped, there's no question about that.
2: Adam Gilchrist too remembers the impact it had on Warn.
4: Yeah, Warnie obviously wasn't in the happiest place of his career, um, sort of came back from the injury leading into that series and then eventually got dropped, which just would have been a, a lightning bolt out of nowhere for him. Um, you know, whether it was right or wrong decision, just thinking of what he would have been considering um, wasn't what he was expecting
2: it was a massive call from war who was still finding his way as the australian test and one day captain and the pressure only increased as a weary australian squad touched down in the uk as favorites to lift the world cup for the first time since 1987 and bounced back from the defeat to sri lanka in the final of the 1996 tournament and war was up against it from the start and not all aspects of his captaincy came easy to him
3: steve war was often chosen for age groups older than what he was because he was such a supreme talent. So it quite often happens, much the same with Ricky Ponting, that if you're a 13-year-old playing in the under-15s, you're not captain. And, and he was naturally quiet and reserved guy. So his opening addresses to the teams before test matches in the West Indies, I understood, were pretty unconvincing. And, and Ian Healy is on record saying that, that he had to... You know, learn the art of of, uh, addressing a team. It didn't come naturally to him. He wasn't a big speech maker. Even in retirement, he barely ever does guest speaking nights.
2: And to add to that burden, he had the tension of the worn decision from the West Indies still lingering over the squad as they prepared for one day cricket's biggest test. Something fast bowler Brendan Julian and medium pacer Adam Dale were
1: all too aware of. At the start of the World Cup, then, you definitely did feel the issues that were were coming in from the West Indies. There, There was certainly um the, the squad, in my mind, wasn't gelling together. Um, um, there, there were there were a lot of strong personalities in that in like that World why, Cup. Why wasn't it gelling? Well, together? I just think it it's a, it came from the West Indies. You know, you know the Shane Warne, the Steve war the selection issues. Warney was the vice captain. He was still vice captain, I think, in the World Cup as well. So you had that sort of tension, and then also you had um, um, a lot of senior and strong personalities in there as well. So from that point of view. You know, it, it just felt not uneasy, but it just, it, it wasn't comfortable, put it that way.
5: I was very much uh, aware of all that because I came into the last test match. Uh, so myself and Colin Miller came in for uh, Gillespie and, and Warren. And so lots of discussion, lots of narrative, um, many opinions, uh, and lots has been discussed since. But yeah, so really across it and, and certainly uh, looking
2: back on it, lots went on. Can you tell us anything that went on at the time? Twenty years on, do you remember how it was perceived within the team and how Warney reacted? Uh, no, nothing more than
5: what's also what's already been uh, you know talked about. I, I think yeah. Warney says he would uh, would like to have been a bit better at that time, but ultimately very disappointed. I mean, he's a a star of the game, and to be dropped, it would always be difficult. Um, Stephen had to make a really difficult decision, and history would show the selection that he made for the 11 was right because we won the test match and ultimately won the, the Frank Waddle trophies, but lots of talk and it was a tough time. Um, but hey, mate, I'm just a small soldier <laughs> in a big environment, so I kept my head down.
2: And it actually wasn't only his form and confidence Warren was struggling with. His participation in this World Cup meant Warren missed the birth of his son, Jackson.
4: Yeah, so he's come back from injury to in on the tour of the West Indies. Then it doesn't go to plan. Uh, so he's a bit at loggerheads with, with Tugger and the selectors. and uh, But then, yeah, that's a significant thing to miss out on. And he made that decision, commits to the country, to the team, to Australian cricket. Um, so you can easily see, whether it's him or anyone, can say, well, hang on, why am I doing this? What, what, I've just missed that significant milestone in my personal life. Yeah, we weren't clicking together as a team. I
3: remember that Warney um uh, just he he was really down and it told in all sorts of small ways here's one i remember speaking to him once and he said he said oh i have just really struggling with everything even uh, you know being exploited because of my fame he said a young lad came to the ground the other day after training and said "Can I can i sign a player's card and he seemed like a really good kid he said, then I'm walking home through the streets and I see the player's card for sale in a memorabilia shop. So he was just obviously running an errand for someone. And I remember Warney was really, it symptomized where he was at the time. Just, you know, not trusting anyone or anything. This is 1999 World Cup. And uh, he, he took all, it was a, you know, he, he was really down.
1: Warney had you know had his issues in, in ways of probably stemming as I was saying from the West Indies he probably had a lot going through uh, his mind as well um, he probably felt that um, he wasn 't being loved in terms of um, maybe the team and people weren't on his side and he 's very much a player where you know like we, we all are in that type of environment you want to feel part of it you want to feel engaged you want you want your support of everyone in the team and you know, I think, that was a, I think that was a tough time for Warney. Uh, you know, leading into the World Cup and certainly the first couple of weeks.
2: Champion batsman Mark Waugh believed Warn's public confidence belied a character who suffered from insecurity and self-doubt.
4: Warney was a funny character. You sort of had to almost pat him on the back, tell him how good he was in, in certain ways, you know. Um, he liked that reassurance, I think, and, you know, knowing that he was the man. Faced with a tired squad and
2: internal rumblings, Warren coach Jeff Marsh attempted to introduce some discipline via a booze ban and a curfew. But if the skipper thought it would galvanise the side to the task at hand, he was actually badly mistaken.
4: I remember, clearly remember the day we were training in Cardiff, uh, Sapphire Gardens, and Jeff Marsh said, yeah, alcohol ban and <laughs> <I'm> like what <laughs> you are kidding me <laughs> not that I was dependent on it but no. just I well, was a young bloke we were in England a world cup a lot of hype around we were looking forward to just having have a night out have a bit of fun it's yeah. the way I always played had a drink afterwards and you know train hard have a good time then train hard but um, I could understand what he was trying to do is he felt the, the simple disciplines the simple um, behaviours of the team obviously were starting to to drop a little bit, so punctuality, um, whether you're wearing the right clothing or not to the function or to training or whatever, all those little, you know, the one percenters as we say in a lot of sports, but clearly Swampy was trying to do something to turn it around. That's maybe why we lost, Um, but um, I don't really remember us being big drinkers anyway in the team, you know, I don't think it was an issue. Maybe it was just Jeff Marsh and Stephen just trying to, you know, get some discipline and, and real focus amongst the group. Steve
3: Waugh made a mistake in introducing a booze ban on Mm -hmm.
4: the tour
3: and the players just weren't going to cop it. And, um, you know, it was treating them a little bit, particularly when you've got three or four, sometimes five days between games, players need to be able to relax. It was the 90s.
2: The booze ban was another big call by Waugh, and it did little to improve morale in a team that had been away from home for three months. Legendary captain Alan Border said Waugh took a while to adjust to life as leader.
0: When you're actually the man who's making all those decisions, it's a very, very different ball game. You start riding every ball, every person's performance. Uh, it's just amazing how the the different pressures uh, when you're the actual captain that uh, you didn't realise were there when you're just a player or a senior player. It's uh, quite amazing. So Stephen did take a while, a bit like myself, to really come to terms with it. And he, I, I think he wasn't... Uh, I think it's a cricketing term these days, backing himself. Yep. You know, he was um, you know, trying to make everyone happy maybe. Delegating. Or, or, or maybe delegating or just taking too much advice from within the group. You know, pretty senior group of players around him at the yep. time. Um, instead of just backing his own instincts. And I, I think that's, he's, he got to that realisation that he, he'd been around, he was the captain, uh, back, back his instincts more and, and that's when you start to see the best of Stephen War.
2: Despite a less than ideal preparation, Australia headed into the first match of the World Cup against Scotland as overwhelming favourites with a side brimming with match winners, albeit a little bit short on form.
0: You know, we're pumped. I think we're very excited. Uh, I think the last World Cup 96 when we lost to Sri Lanka in the final, you know, I know I've still got some bad memories of that and want to sort of put them to rest and want to win a World Cup. I think that all of us feel that. I think we've got 15 guys here that just want to play. They're not interested in anything else. They All they want to do is play cricket and win the World Cup.
5: We've got a very good side. It just depends
0: on whether we're picking at the right time. We've got a very well-balanced side that I think, if we play at our best, there's a good chance to go a fair way through the World Cup. Mark, war at the top with Gilchrist, you know, what a you know two... You know, they make most Australian sides now. You know, if you yeah. try and pick your best evers, um, it would be hard to sort of separate those two, wouldn't it, uh, Mark Warren. Adam Gilchrist, then Ponting at three, well, he's going to play most most mm. Australian sides. Darren Lehman, batting at four, I mean, he ended up having quite a good career. It was a long time coming for Darren, wasn't it? Um, you know, didn't sort of make his way until sort of late 20s, 30s and uh, it was a shame because, you know, as a 19-year-old, you just thought, oh, this guy's going to play mm. 150 test matches. Uh, Steve Waugh, well, you yeah, know, what a... What a uh, you know, performer he was. Michael Bevan, one of the great finishers. Yeah. So that top six, you know, that stacks up against any Australian side that's ever been put on the park, really. Um, it'd be an interesting contest, wouldn't it, against, say, today's games or, say, against the 87 World Cup team. Um, Warney coming at number eight. Um, okay, you know, he, he makes any side as well. Uh, Fleming, Rifle, McGrath are the three quickies, um, you know, Tremendous performances as those guys. McGrath makes any side. Uh, Fleming rifle. I mean, they're as good as it gets. I, I think um, in in the one day form and test match format. So that's a that's a really good Australian side. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know there was other sides probably ranked higher than the, than us at the time. South Africa in particular, they'd perform well, hadn't they? Yep. Yeah. Um, up until the, that World
2: Cup, but um, that's that's a seriously good side on paper. Australia would emerge as comfortable victors, but things would soon take a turn. In the next chapter...
0: and We just got absolutely thumped that particular day. And, uh, yeah, why we weren't gelling? I mean, you talk about all those individuals, um, but we just, just weren't coming together as a side.
3: I reckon it's designed to send an electric current through the team. You know, they, they come out of a Caribbean summer too, an English summer, and the players just looked stilted and uh, almost
0: like cold, a bit cold, and they, they weren't switched on. And when you're not playing well, and you're not relaxed,
4: uh, it's not a good combination. Oh, he's a little bit frustrated about it, I think. I think he loves being the spearhead. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it just didn't
1: work. A few batsmen probably got a hold of, of Chip and a little, of Adam a little bit. The focus in my mind really changed from curfews, drinking bands, um culture, and all that sort of stuff. They going. you know what? We just need to win games of cricket. The Miracle of
2: 99 is brought to you by Fox Cricket. Reporting and narration by senior journalist Tom Morris and produced by Brenton Cherry and Jonathan Bahume. For more content, visit foxsports.com.au.